Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Are you listening? Damn. And welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines. I'm joined, as always, by BeaverBlitz.com publisher Angie Machado. And we're here on Sunday, September 18th, one day removed from one of the bigger blowouts in recent Oregon State football history on the good side. Obviously, Oregon State's had a few games go the opposite direction over the last handful of years, but the Beavers are coming off of a 68-28 to walloping of Montana State at Providence Park in Portland. Angie, you and I were both there. Eric was there as well. Uh, How are you feeling as we're now exactly 24 hours removed from kickoff of Oregon State's first game in Portland in, man, about 40 years? Yeah, I mean, first of all, they took care of business like they were expected to, um, and we'll get into that a little bit more in depth here when we, we dive into the game, but everything I've heard, I mean, you and I and Eric were up in the press box, so we didn't get to partake in the pregame festivities and, and the tailgating and such. But I'll tell you what, I have heard, everyone I've heard from that has been said it was so fun that, you know, all the bars and restaurants around Providence Park um, were packed with Beavers and Montana State fans and just super, super atmosphere. And, and I thought the game was a, was a good atmosphere. I don't know if it's something Oregon State should do every year, but I think definitely every five or six years tailgating scene in downtown portland is a little different than in uh you know rural rural oregon uh corvallis college town you know it's it's a little different but uh everything i have heard as well is uh, it pretty much echoes the sentiments that that you have heard uh with oregon state fans just i mean really being blown away by not only the, the game day operations but the atmosphere in the stadium as well obviously the game going or oregon state's favor a 40 point win um, I, I think everybody was just generally pretty impressed with the whole the whole operation. I know you and I were as well. Um, I had expectations. I, I had you know pretty high expectations going into this for uh, what Oregon State would be able to do with a, a game at Providence Park. You know, a, a stadium that is is known around Major League Soccer as a cathedral. Um, obviously, an, a very old venue, one that Oregon State has a lot of history in, and. Uh, being around a fan base that is so Portland centric, I felt like there was an opportunity there for, um, you know, a, a pretty good turnout, and obviously it, it sold out. So uh, I was impressed by everything. It sounds like you were impressed, and and everything that the two of us have heard was uh, nothing but uh, nothing but high reviews for uh, what what was Oregon State's first game in Portland since 1986. The the toughest part, I think for Oregon state going forward, it's just this fact that there's a small locker room. I mean, these, yeah. the stadium is built for a soccer team. That's a quarter, a third of the size of a, of a football team. So I, I heard they only had 70 lockers or brought 70 guys. So they did have to mm-hmm. limit that. They dressed um, in groups so um, they could utilize that space. But like I said, I, I didn't know what to expect. I kind of went in with a blank, blank slate and I, I walked away pretty impressed. It's not something that Oregon state will do again for, I mean, shoot, it, it may never happen again, especially with the investment that the university has put into Reeser Stadium. 
Uh, you don't spend $150 million on renovating your stadium to go play home games outside of it. So uh, I, I don't think we'll see it happen for quite some time, but I think that's unfortunate because uh, it, it really was a, a pretty cool atmosphere. It was awesome to get, um, you know, some, some more fans who I think wouldn't necessarily make the trip down to Corvallis for a, you know, a 5 p.m. or a 7 p.m. type kickoff. Uh, I think it was cool to get those types of fans in there. I think it was cool to play in a big city and uh, obviously a, a good turnout all around uh, for Oregon State and Montana State fans. I think uh, it was a resounding success by all measures. And uh, you and I had a great time up in the press box. We walked around the the stadium before the game and and got some fan predictions. It was cool to talk to you know some families, some kids. We talked to Timber Joey, Mike Parker, Benny Beaver. Uh, taking in the atmosphere down on the field as well was was awesome. Uh, it, it feels like the stadium holds a lot more than twenty five thousand fans totally. when you're in there, and, and it sounds like it too. I mean, the echoes from the the wooden roof. Uh, it's like you can't even hear yourself think. Yeah. So I think guys, uh, as, as far as the volume goes, as far as just the general, uh, the crowd size goes, and um, obviously with the way the, the game went, uh, you couldn't really ask for a whole lot more there. Yeah, I, that was great. But um, I'm excited to talk about the game. But gosh, Carter, tell me the truth. Are you excited for the upcoming week? Obviously, it's USC week. It's probably <laughs> the last time the Trojans are coming to Corvallis, maybe ever. Um, it's It should be a top 25 matchup. It's not because Oregon State just missed out on the uh, the top 25 by Oregon State and Washington spots. State totally deserve to be in there. Yeah. USC will be uh, a, a top 10 opponent coming into Reeser. And we know that when that is the case, it does not usually go the Trojans way. So I'm excited to see how that plays out. But we do have a 40-point win to discuss here. It was Oregon State's third win of the season. The Beavers are now 3-0 and to open the year. It's the first time the Beavers have started 3-0 and since 2014, which also just happens to be the last time they went uh, undefeated in non-conference play. So this is, by all accounts, the best start to an Oregon State football season since 2014. That's eight years I mean, we've we've waited a decade for this, and and here it is. The Beavers are off to uh to a pretty hot start. Angie, how are you feeling about where this team stands three weeks in, and and now what the ceiling is for the entire season? Considering I think they have, you know, maybe outplayed expectations just just slightly. Well, not for me because I had this team going ten and two. I did yeah, but have you had them two and one. Two and one, but now USC and Utah have me a little more worried. So. Yeah. USC is a good team. Utah is a good team. But I, I'm really pleased because as we talked about on Thursday, these matchups with Big Sky opponents, there's not a lot to gain from them, to be completely honest. No. So, um, you know, fan expectations are that Oregon State is going to win by, you know, like a thousand. Um, and I, I think when you look at everything combined, I think Oregon State did as, as well as to be expected. They put up a 40-point win that was never really in um, – in question. I mean, there was, I mean, it was, run. it was tied at the end of the first quarter, but even then, you know, the Beavers had the ball at what, like the five yard line coming out of the yeah. break. So yeah, I, it was, it just never felt, um, I, I never felt like I was on the edge of my seat that Oregon state was going to have any struggles. Um, so there's that they, we talked about the keys to the game, establishing a run. And we can talk about that a little later about, you know, whether they did that or not, but I was really happy to see the, sh um, Trayshawn Harrison get targeted and really I, I thought he needed to build some confidence because I think, you know, there's been a couple big key drops that he's had early in the season. And I think he did that. I think chance Nolan took another step forward. I thought he looked completely on target. They got, when you look at that 10 touchdowns scored Carter and scored by eight different players, it's crazy. Um, just all the way around, just everybody got involved. They were able to put in a ton of the young guys that we talked about. That fourth quarter was dominated by young guys. So um, a lot of very positive building steps went into that game. I think you hit it right on the head when you said that, you know, this is a type of game where Oregon State has everything to lose and nothing to gain. But somehow the Beavers found a way to gain quite a bit from this. I, I think posting 68 points in a game that at least at Beaver Blitz, nobody expected them to even crack 50. So yeah. Uh, you know, I think offensively, they ex exceeded expectations. Defensively, 28 points against Montana State, I think is fine. 
Uh, Actually, that's, that's only 21 good, because one of those was good special point. teams. Yeah, 28 points altogether, but defensively yeah. 21, 21 points uh, I, I think is is respectable against one of the best FCS teams in the country. Obviously, if, if you watched some late-night football yesterday, you saw what uh, North Dakota State did to Arizona, nearly pulling off that upset. So these are by no means uh, cupcake type of games. These these are not uh, pushover opponents, and for Oregon State to win by 40 is pretty impressive. So let's take a look at the game at a glance. Oregon State wins 68-28. to 28. Uh, but diving into the yardage totals, this is where the discrepancy, uh, I, I think, is 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 most notable. Obviously, a 40-point uh, margin of, of victory is pretty impressive, but Oregon State outgained Montana State by a factor of two, going 540 yards of offense to 269. I think what's more Im- impressive than that even is Oregon State's 741 all-purpose yards because you have to throw in the special teams factor uh, Montana State did have a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown as well, so their all-purpose yardage was a bit inflated as, uh, on on that end as well. But uh, Oregon State 741 all-purpose yards, 540 on the on the offensive side, pretty good day all around, huh? A great day all around, and and holding them to 269, I think is is respectable. Um, they had some trouble with the mobile quarterback. That's going to be something I think they're going to want to really shore up heading into Pac-12 play, but. Um, other than that, I thought they, um, it never, like I said, it never felt like Montana State, I and mean, they couldn't throw the ball at all. And aside from some some quarterback, you know, designed runs and broken plays, um, the Beavers shut them down. I do have an argument against the, uh, you know, I think the, the widespread takeaway from their play against the mobile quarterback, which we're going to get to in the latter part of the show when we go through the good, the bad. Uh, the the keys to the game we're going to revisit those obviously the ones that we provided on Thursday uh, and then hit on some injury notes later on as well that's all in the second half of the show so teasing one of my potential hot takes maybe um, more thorough analyses of, of the game later on there with regard to the play of the Montana State quarterbacks but it was the Bobcat quarterbacks that were accountable for essentially all of their 168 yards rushing uh, I think Man, all but like four of those yards came from the quarterbacks. Mm-hmm. To be expected when you're down four running backs, I think. And, you know, you're you're already running a two-quarterback system. But Oregon State, even then, eclipsed the Bobcats on the ground with 216 rushing yards of its own. In the passing game, Oregon State just flat-out dominated there. 324 yards through the air to Montana State's 101. Uh, Oregon State getting four touchdowns through the air as well there. Two of those going to Anthony Gould. One to Treshawn Harrison and one to Silas Bolden. In the turnover category, this is an area where Oregon State, I felt like, took a big step forward this week. Got back on track after uh, after a, a, a turnover-free game on both sides of the ball last week against Fresno State. Oregon State forces three turnovers. All three of those were interceptions going to Ryan Cooper Jr., his first of his career. Uh, Jaden Grant and Rajon Wright, Montana State, forced zero turnovers. Anything stand out to you there, Angie, of all of those numbers that I just provided to you? Yeah, I, I love the 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 four touch, the passing touchdowns, five rushing touchdowns. We didn't touch on that. Yeah. Going to five different players. So, um, again, this was spread out. It was not a one-man show. Um, I, I think we saw a lot, like I said, from Trajan Harris. I think Anthony Gould. You guys know I've been high on Anthony Gould now since last season. So I think he took another step, um, maybe introducing himself to Beaver Nation as some, you know, having some sure hands. Silas Bolden, I thought, had another strong game. Deshaun Fenwick, I thought, kind of stood out. And then how about Ben Goldbranson? He he did yeah. come in and, uh, you know, in, in limited duty was able to, I think he was, was he four, three or four? Three or four. Three or four for 48 yards, I believe. So um, almost identical to the line he posted two years ago in his, you know, his, his most recent action before yesterday was against Arizona state on the final drive of the 2020 season. And I think he was man like five of seven or something, something very similar for about 60 yards and a touchdown. So his limited action throughout his career, he's done nothing but produce. Obviously he's going up against, you know, second team guys at that point in the game, but still impressive to see that from your backup quarterback. Yeah. And I, I really do think chance has been looking stronger and stronger each, each week. Defensively, the the last stat we'll touch on here before we move on to the game flow portion of this game recap episode. Tackles for loss, 
Uh, not many of them on either side. Oregon State picked up four, Montana State two. So I think uh, a testament to Oregon State's offense getting downhill there, uh, only getting stopped in the backfield twice. Offensive line, I thought, had a pretty solid game, especially in pass protection. Chance Null had had all day to work uh, against a very stout Montana State defense, mind you, that had given up 15 points a game across its last 17 games. So uh, to only allow two tackles for loss, Chance Nolan had all day, wasn't sacked at all. I think that's uh, a pretty good day by the offensive line for the Beavers. On the flip side, four tackles for loss. I think against a running team, you'd like to see more of those. Um, but at the same time, the the no sacks, I, I don't think it's particularly surprising considering just how rarely the Bobcats even attempted to throw yeah. the ball. Yeah, but I would have liked to have seen a few more tackles for loss. Um, just, just to, you know, the momentum that, that that brings. Moving on to the game flow. This is the uh, the bulk of our game recap episodes where we just go through all of the drives, all of the big plays, and and kind of give our thoughts uh, as if we were re-watching the game. So we're hitting on all the highlights here. This is going to be like an absolutely loaded <laughs> section this week because... Uh, when the teams combined for almost a hundred points, uh, yeah, things things. Uh, Poor Carter, I have to build up. So I'm sitting next to Carter in the press box, and he is like at his computer, and I'm like leaning over to like give him my hot takes, and he's just like, "Stop! I I got it! I got it! I got to work." <laughs> he has me it's, chirping in his ear. So hey, it's it's all out of respect. It's not a it's not a hey, shut up! I'm trying to get to work. It's a okay, give me a second. Let me. T- <laughs> Let me type out what just happened. And it's it's even it's even tougher in a game like this where, you know, you've got teams scoring touchdowns and then immediately on the ensuing kickoff, it goes for seven more. And yeah. then two yeah. minutes later, the other offense is scoring on a big play and it's like there's no breather. So no, just uh, know was... you guys that Carter's working his <laughs> he is type working his fingers to the bone doing this, these game, this this stuff, because he is keeping track for all of us, because then it helps me and it helps Eric. Um, with all our thoughts, because then Carter has Carter has all the good hot takes. It was about four hours of just nonstop it action. Was so nonstop action. As as I look at the rundown that I've put together for this episode, uh, we have an entire page worth of uh, just just drive by drive, play by play type stuff. The first so, quarter though was it went super fast. It was like yeah. a half an hour and not a lot. And it started kind of inauspiciously for Oregon State, yeah. actually. Uh, I, I was a little concerned with the way things got got going. Obviously, you want to be crisp against an FCS team and you know work to put them away early. But with Oregon State getting charged with the penalty on the opening kickoff, having to take a timeout to work through some sort of miscommunication before the first snap from scrimmage, I was like, man, that's about as bad of a start as you could ask for uh, for the Beavers. But then they silenced myself and I think anybody else who might have had any doubts of how they were going to play in that game with a 90-yard scoring drive, uh, seven plays. Deshaun Fenwick breaks free for a 25-yard rushing touchdown. Good to see him get into the second level of the defense because we haven't seen much of that from really any of, any of Oregon State's running backs. Uh, it was it was a trend throughout the game that we saw you know quite a bit of that. But uh, Fenwick picking up the 25-yard touchdown on the opening drive. Angie, did you feel like that kind of set the tone for the rest of the way? I did, but then moving to the next drive, Montana State totally just picked apart Oregon State. They just were able to run at will, basically. Um, and that ended it with 58 rushing yards and a touchdown, a seven-yard touchdown drive or run. So it's 7-7 in the first quarter. While I know it's a long game in Oregon State, I felt in my heart would wear them down. That was not really maybe the start I was expecting. I really hate to disrupt our flow here, but um, in, in the YouTube chat, and, and thanks to everybody for, for watching live on YouTube, I'm, I'm going to throw this comment up here on the screen. Lucas Aguilar uh, shares with us that Pete Thamel of ESPN has just tweeted that Jonathan Smith is a, quote, name to watch for the Arizona State head coach vacancy, which obviously just uh, popped up with Herm Edwards getting fired a couple hours ago. Uh, Lucas would love to hear our thoughts on this, he says, and uh, I think it's... <laughs> Frankly, I, th- I think it's laughable. I mean, Jonathan Smith is not leaving Oregon State for for anybody dumpster anytime fire, soon, but yeah. let alone another rebuilding project is. at yeah. at Arizona State. Yeah, he's got a lot of work to do at Oregon State uh, before he, and especially like I said, the dumpster fire that is ASU. Oh, I love ASU though; they really do think highly of themselves down there. 
Pete Thamel, uh, obviously a you know one of the one of the great college football journalists, but throwing Jonathan Smith as a name to watch out there for that job uh, that's that's a head scratcher for me. I'm not going to lie. But uh, back to the the game flow of Oregon State's 40 point win over Montana State. The Bobcats bounced back pretty quickly, actually, from from giving up a 90 yard scoring drive. Uh, they carve up the Oregon State defense themselves, and uh, most of it was done on the ground with the quarterbacks. Tommy Mallott and Sean Chambers combined for 58 rushing yards on that drive, and Chambers punched it in with a seven-yard touchdown to, to tie things up at seven, and that was the end of the, the first quarter, basically. I mean, Oregon State drove down the field, but after 15 minutes, it was 7-7. What were you feeling, Angie, at that point? Did you, you, know, did you feel like Montana State was going to kind of hang around a little bit. I, I felt like it was just a, a case of, you know, two, two teams putting together a couple of drives and, and Oregon state didn't really have any opportunities to pull away yet. I, I didn't think it was a matter of Montana state saying, Hey, we're here to battle with you. Yeah. I mean, I don't think I ever felt like the game was going to be in, in the balance, but um, it did make me, I mean, make me kind of stop just at the ease at which their first drive they scored. I think that was the more concerning element. And, you know, even when I was putting together game predictions and stuff, I said, this might take a while for Oregon State to pull away. I think it'll it'll eventually happen. Uh, but with these games, it's not uncommon to see these slow starts. And, uh, you know, 7-7 seven, seven after one, one quarter is uh, certainly within the realm of possibility. But I was a little concerned, as you said, with just how the Bobcats were able to do that. I mean, 58 yards on the ground, it was very methodical. Uh, there were no big plays. It was all, you know, here's five yards, here's 10 yards, uh, moving down the down the field and scoring. But to Oregon State's credit, it did pull away, and that started on the ensuing possession. Uh, it was the first play of the second quarter, actually, that Oregon State scored. Chance Nolan found Trayshawn Harrison for six yards. It was uh, an impressive catch, I think potentially even more an impressive of a throw from Nolan to kind of lob it up there in the corner of the end zone um, in heavy, you know, heavy, um, heavy coverage, mm -hmm. but credit to both of those guys for making a pretty impressive play that I, I think helped Oregon state build some momentum there. Yes, absolutely. I, like I said, one of the things I wanted to watch was seeing Trayshawn Harrison get some confidence in, in pass catching. And I think he did that this week. Harrison ended up with eight yards for a hundred and or sorry, eight receptions eight catches, for yeah. 133 yards and that touchdown. Uh, he had 10 targets on the game as well. So he was targeted more than anybody. You and I both said Harrison needed to have a big game with Luke Musgrave mm -hmm. out. And I think as we go into USC week, we're going to be tooting that horn again because uh, I'm not entirely sure we're going to see Luke Musgrave this week. And so if that's the case, Treshawn Harrison needs to step up and be Oregon State's go-to guy, and he certainly did that against Montana State. Absolutely. Yeah, between him and, and Anthony Gould, I think. Well, and Silas Bolden. I mean, there you have, you know, three, oh, sorry, very capable wide receivers. Best way to build onto a lead is to take the ball away, give yes. yourself some extra possessions, and Oregon State did that on its next defensive drive with Ryan Cooper Jr. coming down with his first interception as a beaver. Oregon State took over at its own 42, and uh, we'll, we'll get to the scoring play in just a second, but that was Montana State's second passing attempt of the day. It was the uh, the first play after Oregon State's touchdown, and so to, to, I think, kind of set the tone defensively right away there and say, hey, we're, uh, we're not about that long scoring drive that we just gave up. This is what we're going to do to you the rest of the night. I think that was a pretty... Uh, a pretty impressive response by the Oregon State defense there. Yeah, absolutely. That that right there, I think, is the where my eyes were like, okay, my eyes were opened. Okay, even if the defense is not playing maybe their best ball and stopping the run, let them try to throw. And, uh, yeah, that interception was huge. And I, I believe, he, did he return it 26 yards? Ooh, I do not that, have that pulled up. Oh, that was, that was, I'm sorry, that was Rajon. Sorry, that was Rajon. Yeah, yeah, Rajon Wright later in the game returned yeah. a, a pick, and it got, looked I like got... it was potentially going to go for six. Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, but that, that interception by Cooper, again, the first of his career, uh, led to a chance Nolan one-yard quarterback sneak for a touchdown. His lone rushing touchdown of the night, but he tallied five in total, which... Uh, obviously, it's not every day you see a quarterback rack up five touchdowns. It does happen from time to time, but um, I, I 
I didn't look, but it might be a career high for Nolan. The only game that I think might compete with that is USC last year. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, 10 touchdowns on the day. I had to recount those, but 10 on the day. Yeah. So. so Oregon State doubled its lead there and had a 21 to 7 advantage. But then again, things, the momentum just kind of it ebbed and flowed in this yeah. game. And, yeah. and Montana State got on the board again with uh, the biggest play of the day, a 98 yard kickoff return touchdown for Marquis Johnson. You and I both felt like, um, okay, what's, what's Oregon state special teams doing here? It it had been a while. It felt like since we talked about, uh, you know, Oregon state kind of whacking on special teams and whatnot, giving up big plays. Uh, but it, it reared its head there for the first time in, and probably, I mean, a full season at this point. Oregon State's been pretty solid for a yeah, while. Yeah, so they gave up. Not only did they so – the, special teams is something to watch because they did give up the one touchdown. That happens. It happens from time to time. But they also missed two point afters and yeah. a field goal. So um, I'm not, like, overly concerned about that. I know that Everett Hayes is dealing with kind of a groin pull. Um, but, no, it, it's something to keep an eye on. In, in a close game, that's going to be something to watch. Yeah, getting Everett Hayes healthy, I think, is going to be key for this team over the next few weeks. As you enter conference play, you are going to be playing closer games. You are going to be relying on your ability to connect on field goals. And as we'll get to here in just a couple of minutes, uh, Hayes missed a a field goal and then missed the first extra point of his career. Atticus Sappington wasn't particularly accurate in his replacement. So something to watch for in the coming weeks is, you know, can Everett Hayes get healthy and, and give Oregon State um, a, a lift in special teams again, because that's one of those things where you don't notice it until you don't have it. Yeah. So at this point, the score is 21 to 14, Carter. Yeah. Getting a little little worried yet or just feeling like this is going to be kind of the, the way the game goes? Still thinking at this point that Oregon State just hasn't had enough opportunities to pull away. Um, I felt like Montana State was going to be able to move the ball. I didn't think it was going to be able to rack up a 90 yard or 98 yard (laughs) kickoff return but i had a feeling the bobcats were going to score a couple of times and it just so happened that most of those happened uh, pretty early on in the game but again oregon state responding and and that's kind of the theme of this game i think is just you know no matter no matter what if oregon state's touching the ball it's scoring and and the next person to get involved was silas bolden who had a rushing touchdown called back for an illegal block in the back, but then a couple of plays later, he gets himself wide open over the middle of the field. Nobody even near him in the end no. zone, and he was in a 24-yard receiving touchdown, the first of his career. Yeah, so last week he had the first rushing touchdown of his career, and then he picked up his first receiving. We had a lot of firsts in this game, Carter. Yeah, I actually kept a tally of them. I, I don't have it anymore. Yeah, uh, Off the top of my head, well, we've already talked about, you know, the the Cooper interception. As we'll get to, Damian Martinez and Jam Griffin both had their first, touch, their first touchdowns as Beavers. Jack Velling had his first catch. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jack Coney had his first tackle. Uh, and and I know I'm missing a couple of more there. But, yeah, that's, that's kind of what you expect in a game like this where some young guys are going to get some action. So... Silas Bolden with with a big play there. It wasn't his last of the game, but Angie, at that point, are you saying, all right, this is the Silas Bolden that that you and I had seen in fall camp? Yes, yes. So, uh, I mean, we saw that in in a glimpse last week, but um, this was the Silas Bolden we had seen. And um, yeah, just another piece to get active and and get into the mix. So um, you and I, I know, have been very critical and worried about the receivers. Just a quick question. Are you still as concerned about the receivers? Uh, yes, you're feeling a little the, better. No, I'm still concerned because we haven't seen it against we we haven't seen yeah, them but, do this kind of thing against FBS competition. Yes. And I think, well, USC's defense is is nothing spectacular. Um, it it has you know four it's, and five star yeah, corners yeah, on its roster, yeah. so uh, this it'll be a prove it week in in many ways. But back to the win over Montana State. Oregon State, again, uh, you know, going back to the point I just made, the best way to build a lead is, is to take the ball away and, and give your offense another chance. And Oregon State did that with Rajon Wright picking off Tommy Mallott, returning it 26 yards to the Montana State 12. At first, I thought he was going to have a chance to, ta- yeah, to take it to the, the end zone. Uh, he had one or two guys that he was going to have to make miss, and and ultimately they caught him. But uh, one, of the, um, one of the more head-scratching throws of the night on yeah. that one. Yeah, it was not sure what Tommy Malott was doing there, but 
Oregon State will take it. It went right just, to Rajon, right, yeah. right to him. A couple of plays later, it was Anthony Gould uh, with what at this point was, I believe, his first touchdown. Yes, this was yes. Anthony Gould's first. Yeah, Anthony first Gould's of first of, of three touchdowns, a nine-yard reception. Uh, and this is where Everett Hayes missed the uh, the extra point. So at that point, he had he had converted on, by my tally, a, at least 100 to open his four-year career. And then at that point, missed it for the first time ever, which, um, I mean, you never expect missed extra points to come. But I felt like, ooh, okay, so Hayes is still dealing with that that groin strain or pull or whatever uh, wasn't shocking considering he's injured i guess is the point i'm trying to make there yeah and then uh Mich- or i'll just kind of go ahead and we went then a three and out for montana state it was the very first three and out of the game mm-hmm. and then everett hayes oregon state gets the ball back right before halftime everett hayes gets down or oregon state gets down to the 46 or to try for a 46 yard field goal and everett hayes missed that one too are you really starting to get concerned now about Everett Hayes' health? Well, I mean, I, I think Jonathan Smith was too, because that was the last we saw of, of Hayes. Yeah. Uh, Atticus Sappington had been taking kickoffs uh, since last week, actually. He mm-hmm. he was on the kickoff team against Fresno State and uh, was in there all game, except for the, the last kickoff, I believe, when Josh McCormick came in. Um, but yeah, that was... That missed field goal was the last we we saw of Hayes, and it, it might be the last we see of him for a while. Is I, I think this is one of those injuries where you say, "Hey, just get some rest and and get healthy for the second half of the season." But okay, so we go into the half thirty four fourteen. Yep, that's that's the halftime score. And before we get into the second half, I want to pause here uh, for a quick break and remind everybody that BeaverBlitz.com is the place you want to head to throughout Oregon State's football season for in depth coverage of the Beavers as they go through the 2022 campaign and try to reach their goal of winning a Pac-12 championship. They're 3-0 right now, so the Beavers right now are saying, hey, why not us? And and why not join us at Beaver Blitz? Uh, this is the this is absolutely the time to do it as, as we're in the heat of football season. VIP content behind the paywall, you'll unlock that. You'll be able to chat with other Oregon State fans in the lodge, get all of Angie and I's content throughout the week, hear from Peter and, and Raju and their SmackDown and, and Peter's trench report uh it's it's content that you're not going to find anywhere else and if you're a true oregon state diehard fan uh, beaverblitz.com is is exactly where you need to be throughout the season okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road with available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo Concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Moving into the third quarter, Oregon State has that 34-14 to 14 lead. And I think at that point... You know, we're saying, all right, this is where Oregon State's going to start to run away with it. I think Montana State had had pretty much put up all of the fight it was going to. And and we saw that as the Bobcats go four and out on their first possession of the second half. They punted it away to Anthony Gould. And Angie, tell me why that was not a good idea. It's not a good idea because Anthony Gould responded. So here we've gone weeks and years. I mean, it seems like since we've seen any team take a a return to the house. We see in the first half Montana State do it. Anthony Gould takes it 80 yards for the touchdown return. And it just, it felt like that was almost like the nail in the coffin right there. It was, um, okay, this is is not going to go Montana State way, especially when they went four and out to start. Um, That was an electric run. The crowd got really loud, really rowdy, and uh, just led to more, more good things for the Beavers. Atticus Sappington missed the extra point there. So that was two PATs in a row that the Beavers missed. But uh, I think overall, you have to look at special teams as a win for the Beavers just because of what they were able to do. And, um, you know, in in the positive 
category. And Anthony Gould's 80-yard punt return touchdown there was was one of those. And that was his second touchdown of the day. Yep. It's it wouldn't be his last. But we also heard after the game, Angie, that um that that Gould had been waiting for an opportunity to break free in the punt return game. Jonathan Smith and and Gould himself both said going into the year, they felt like it could be a weapon. Uh, They think they have a very strong punt return group. And it's, it's interesting to me that they singled that out and didn't include the kickoff return group there too. I think they just like the way that things set up uh, to, to return punts in particular. And we saw why as Anthony Gould broke free for an 80 yarder and later on, uh, had a, a 41-yarder to boot, so pretty impressive game from him there. The Bobcats did respond for the first time in a while, actually, with Sean Chambers punching in a 8-yard touchdown run, his second of the game. Um, I, I don't have a running score, unfortunately, at this point, so I can't tell you what it is, but I want to say we're looking at 40-21 to 21 at that point. It would be 40-21, to 21, yes. Yeah. Uh, Oregon State, again, as as we said, it scored on pretty much every offensive possession except for the ones that ended uh, with the, the time running out in the first and second halves. Uh, so Oregon State did score in its next possession with Damian Martinez finding the end zone for the first time in, of his career, this being his third game as a true freshman. Uh, he took a toss to the left side and, and got around the defense for seven yards. Angie, you were really excited in the press box to uh, to see Martinez get to pay dirt for the first time as a beaver. Yeah. It's always fun to see these guys, especially true freshmen that you've covered through recruiting, um, get that first touchdown. I was mm-hmm. excited when, when Silas Bolden got his, although I wasn't in the press box with you um, the week before, but um, I just think it's a fun special time for these guys, especially for Martinez. And you guys know, I've been super high on him and I think he could be something really special for Oregon state in the future. I think that was what was the most exciting about that one was just that we felt like it, this was like, this was a landmark, you know, this yeah. is the first of many. so many more to come. Yeah. Uh, Cause we both feel obviously that, uh, you know, like we have said for the last, what, nine months at this point, probably tired of hearing us say it, that Damian Martinez is going to be a star in this offense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So if, if that touchdown was any indication, I think there's plenty more coming. Montana state went four and out on its next possession again. Uh, with a, a first down there on, I, I would assume, if I'm doing the math correctly, a first down on the first play, and then they go three and out from there. Um, Anthony Gould then had his 41-yard punt return, yes. uh, getting it back to the Montana State 33. And then it was Gould again on the receiving yeah. end of his third touchdown, a 17-yarder. And it, I, I think you and I both then were saying, man, <laughs> where where has Anthony Gould been for the last four years? Why Why did it take this long for us to see it? Uh, this is what happens when Anthony Gould gets his number called more than just once or twice in a game. And I think this is the game where finally we see Gould really establish himself as a top two or three yeah. receiver on this team, in, including Musgrave at the tight end position. And and I think I think what was big, too, is, is like you and I, Carter, last season, we called for this. I mean, it, it seemed like every time Anthony Gould got in the game, he might have one target and he always made the big catch. And we then we couldn't understand, well, why is he out? They kept putting Zariah Beeson back in. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, no disrespect there, but when you have Zariah Beeson who failed to, to really get yards after catch, and then you have somebody electric like Gould, and I really think this was Gould's coming out party. He is going to – he has now kind of entrenched himself uh, with the coaches that he is gonna, going to be one of the go-to guys going forward. Jaden Grant came down with an interception on the ensuing drive – the third of the game fitting. for Oregon State's yeah. defense. And and fitting for Jaden, right? He's he's always been so proud to be from Portland. Um, and for him, I, I know this game was important to him. He had, I think he told us he had over 40 friends yeah. and family in attendance. And so I think for him, seventh year senior to come down with a big interception in front of everyone in his hometown. You said that, or he had said he played in high school one game at, at Providence Park, and you brought up that that was against Sherwood. I was there in the semifinals. So yep. Yeah, it, it, I think it was just kind of a fitting a fitting end for you know him in that game. Yeah, a fun tidbit there. Jaden Grant, uh, playing for West Lynn at the time, was a senior in high school. This was the, the state semis against Sherwood. David Morris was on that Sherwood team. Obviously, Oregon State fans are familiar with that name. Uh, he missed that game with an injury, which unfortunately would become a trend throughout his Oregon State career. And West Lynn cruised to a, a pretty big win there and then advanced to the state championship game. 
back at Providence Park the next week. So uh, a fun a fun tidbit there. And I, I was picturing Jaden Grant going through the locker room and saying, uh, hey, random teammate, do you have any family tickets available this yeah, week? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it is. I mean, it's it's funny because those guys, they get their allotment, but then they, they have to go around and ask their teammates, like, are you using, are you using your allotment? Can I have some? Curious how many guys he had to go to before he accumulated yes. 40, 40 family tickets. Yeah. Crazy. But Oregon State then capitalized with a 23-yard rushing touchdown from Jam Griffin, his first as a Beaver after coming over from Georgia Tech via tr- the transfer portal this offseason. Uh, and, th- and that drive was led by Ben Golbranson. So he came yes. in at quarterback. As Angie mentioned earlier on, he was very effective. Okay, so in, Carter, in his, short, uh, his short stint there as the, the signal caller. I, I was going to throw this out at you because this was in the, the press box. I wasn't surprised at all because I actually felt that Ben Goldbranson was QB2 kind of at, yeah. toward the end of fall camp. Were Some people in the media in the press box were a little surprised that we did not see Tristan Jebbia. Were you surprised or do you think this Ben Goldbranson is QB2? Well, I wasn't surprised just because I, I felt like, you know, we, we kind of had this debate after uh, the the decision was made in week one. And I said, I think there's a time and a place for both guys. I think Ben Goldbranson's the kind of guy you bring in in a blowout just to see what he can give you. Uh, whether you're up by a bunch, whether you're down by a bunch, it's just a, hey, this guy's probably going to come in and make a play. Let's see what he can do. Whereas Tristan Jebby is the guy that you bring in if Chance Nolan goes down yeah. with an injury or, you know, his helmet comes off for a play. Uh, and you're and you in a tight a, game. You need a, yeah, you need a veteran game manager to, yeah. to help you win a game. Um, so I think there's, again, still a time and a place. We, we might, we could very well see Tristan Jebbia again before his his time is done. But I think this was, this had Goldbranson written all over it. Okay, so after after Jam scores his 23-yard rushing touchdown and Ben comes in as quarterback, Montana State wasn't done. They uh, yep. scored on a one-yard TD. Now, I missed this one because we were on our way down to the field, but um, I know they they did score. Um, were you shocked? Oregon State had a lot of second and third stringers in. Were you shocked that they were able to score? At that point, no. I think that's when all bets are off and, and really anything can happen. Uh, Sean Chambers picked up his third touchdown of the game there. So he, as Montana State's backup quarterback, had a huge game he did uh, with, have a huge with game. three scores. And he now on the season through three games has seven touchdowns, which is just, I mean, he's he he might be setting a record for the most touchdowns by a backup quarterback. Um, but but let, as I said on Thursday's podcast, if I was the OC there, that's what I would do. I would run yeah. your backup quarterback. They have no they have no running backs. And then Kanoa Shannon comes in and finishes the Beaver scoring with a three yard rushing touchdown. Was that his first as a Beaver touchdown? His first touchdown as a Beaver. Okay. Uh, it wasn't his first carry. And in fact, yes. he he ran the ball a couple of times in the fourth quarter, uh, and he actually ran the ball in the LA Bowl last year. Yes, so that's right. he had seen the field. Uh, he came into the year as, as probably the fifth string running back, but yeah. a walk on who, as you know, watching practice for the last couple of years, he is he is always on the field in yes. practice. Uh, it's it's not uncommon for us to see him running with the ones and twos in practice, just as uh, you know somebody who can who can come in and give somebody a break or somebody who I think the coaches really like as far as walk ons go, and, and also um, a very valuable part of the of the scout team each yeah. week. And I, I've heard firsthand accounts that uh, that Kanoa Shannon is just an awesome person as well. Yeah. So very cool for him to to find the end zone in his collegiate career as a walk on uh, after spending so much time in Corvallis over the last what three or four years now at this point. So that was uh, that was the extent of the scoring. That was that a was, long rundown. <laughs> yeah, that was how we got to sixty eight twenty eight. So. Uh, hopefully we didn't bore you there. Hopefully we were able to provide enough insight and analysis and opinion throughout the uh, throughout the last what forty minutes at this point um, to uh, to get us to sixty eight twenty eight. So now that we have gone through and relived it all, let's break down some of the good and and some of the bad from Oregon State's perspective. So I think we have to start with Oregon State just unlocking the return game because I Absolutely. think that was where the most electric plays came from. Obviously, Gould had the 80-yard punt return touchdown. He had the 41-yarder. Silas Bolden, I don't know if we mentioned it, uh, had an 80-yard kickoff return as well that uh, that went down to the 20-yard line instead of a touchdown. So 
electric, uh, like you said, all around. Yeah, yeah, electric play from the return game. And and having that unlocked and having that as a weapon is something that can totally flip the script of a game. So um, huge, huge um, thing to see. Yeah, a comment just came in the YouTube chat, Kookiebots Dynasty saying, I think they're still trying to figure out the kickoff returns. They've used a few different guys, sometimes Bolden, sometimes Martinez or others. And yeah, when they, they released the depth chart in week one, we saw what, four guys listed okay. as punt returner or kick returner? I, I think, you know, two at the other one. Uh, so they had like five or six guys listed. And, and I wasn't surprised just given how many guys we saw uh, take reps there in full camp uh, with you know with regularity there are four or five guys and uh, just nobody really emerged even a little jackhammer from time to time mm-hmm. I, I do think that um it, it's just a product of oregon state having so much speed on its roster this year yeah. you know who yeah. i'm surprised that we're not seeing more of in the return game is josiah irish speaking of speed all right uh, okay, outside what, what of the is, return game yeah what is some more good the passing game, I, I think, remained ultra-efficient. Chance Nolan's final line was 19 of 25 for 276 yards, four touchdowns and no interceptions. It really doesn't Huge. get much better than that when you're completing Huge. about 75% of your throws and uh, scoring a handful of times and, and not giving it to the other team. That's about as good as it gets from the quarterback position. And, and then the wide receiver stepping up. Like I said, Harrison had eight catches for 133 yards, one TD. Gould had five receptions, 77 yards, two receiving TDs plus than that one um, special teams, but huge day for those guys, especially like I said, with your, with your number one receiver out in Luke Musgrave. So I felt like in the running game and we'll, we'll shift gears here to, to that element in week one, it was disappointing in week two, it established itself a little bit more. It was there a little bit more reliably, but it wasn't like, it, it wasn't electric. Right. Like you didn't see the big runs that we've become accustomed to with Jamar Jefferson, Artavis Pierce, BJ Baylor. You go down the line. Uh, we, we didn't see any of the big plays, a couple of them this week, but but really only for 25 or 20 or 17. You know, none of the none of the, the huge explosive plays. So I, I'm curious, Angie, if you felt like the running game was established more this week than in weeks past and if it is starting to live up to your expectations or if you feel like there's still room to grow. Cause I mean, you look at it, four different running backs scored each running back had at least 23 yards. The team averaged 5.1 yards per carry across the board. I mean, there's really not much to complain about there. Yeah. I mean, you look at the stats and and it doesn't, there's nothing to complain about, but I'm with you. I don't feel like it ever felt like it gets established. And I think part of that is, is by design and that they're constantly rotating players. And, um, part of me would like to see one guy kind of get the bulk of the carries. Not that there's not a lot of talent there, but um, I feel sometimes these guys don't have a a chance to kind of get into that game rhythm because they're getting pulled every other play um, and and subbed in and out. So I personally would would like to see them maybe go with Fenwick for, and I'm not saying the whole game. I mean, yeah, you need some, some guys to take some, some reps and give those guys a rest, but nobody's getting a chance to really establish themselves I don't, maybe this is all preseason design. I don't know. It just doesn't feel cohesive. So let me play devil's advocate there a little bit. And I I completely agree with you, but um, looking at the flip side last week against Fresno State, um, Deshaun Fenwick carried the ball 19 times. He was far and away the featured back and uh, I think racked up about 102 yards and had a touchdown. So Oregon State did felt. rely on one running yeah. back there, but it still didn't give yeah. you what I felt like we've become accustomed to or what we're looking for or, or what the coaches hope to get out of the running game. And and I think maybe as Beavers, as, as Beaver fans and, and some people that have covered the team as long as we have, we have become accustomed to maybe being a run first offense where you rely very heavily on the running game. And maybe this season they look to be a little more balanced or, or go the passing game a little more. Um and that seems really weird saying that since our biggest question mark on this team is, is the receivers. But I, like I said, you look at that stat line, four different running backs um, and Nolan all scoring 5.1 yard, a, yards a carry, but it just feels like it's in little spurts and we're not seeing kind of that workhorse just able to, to pull off big chunks of yards at a time. And you know where that comes from? I think a little bit is, is exactly what Connor Johnson just said in the YouTube chat. 
Uh, we don't have a patient zone run type guy like a Jefferson, Pierce, Baylor, et cetera. And one thing that I have seen from the running backs through three games that I think is a little concerning is just the lack of vision from some of yes. those guys. I mean, we're seeing the offensive line open up holes, but they don't always get there because they're getting hit by somebody else because they made the wrong read. Or, and that is something you know, they're if- not they're not cutting it back or they're not getting outside um, and, and instead trying to power through the line. And that's something, if you're not in the lodge, you need to be there because Peter Riley Osborne does his trench, trench report each week where he actually has video where he slows it down, breaks things down. Um, and you guys, I, again, I am a huge fan and a, of Damian Martinez, young Damian Martinez, but that is something that Peter highlighted. And it's just the, the vision that some of these guys are missing um, in, in finding the actual open hole. So if, if you watch it slow down, they go one way. And if they would have taken the other hole, it would have been a, a touchdown or a big game. So um, I think you're absolutely right, Carter. And that's going to be something that maybe takes a little time in, in practice to develop. Yeah. The only way you can improve that is through extra reps. Yeah. But, uh, defensively, one area that I think obviously stood out as, uh, as, as very impressive was the three interceptions. So matched the total against Boise state with those three takeaways, uh, well, the, the three interceptions, Oregon State had five takeaways against yeah. Boise State, but uh, that improves the season-long turnover margin to plus five, and huge. I, I mean, that's that's huge. That's that's big. Like, there's yeah. there's no way around it. I mean, if Oregon State can keep up even a plus three turnover margin throughout the season, I mean, plus anything two. Positive. I mean, yeah, <laughs> plus two um, in Pac-12, they're going to win a lot of games. Yeah, uh, it, it's it's been a key, one of those defensive key is one of those points of emphasis for so many years. It feels like of, of just Oregon state trying to take the ball away more. And, you know, that was one of the things that Tim Tibisar harped on week in and week out when he was still the DC yeah. for what, three and a half, four years was, yeah. you know, we're just trying to get improvement in the turnover game. Cause we feel like that's going to unlock so much for this team. And uh, we're starting to see that kind of come to fruition this year. And it makes sense considering how talented that back end is uh, on, on a similar note. I think Oregon State took away the passing game altogether for Montana State. Yeah, they couldn't I mean, the, pass. So, Angie, the, the game plan we learned after the game was to force Montana State to throw the ball. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Bobcats have a prolific rushing attack, and the Beavers wanted to get them to do that. Um, Tommy Malott going 9 of 18 for 101 yards of three picks. Can you ask for much more from the defense there? Yeah. I mean, if, if, I mean, just flip that around. If that was Chance Nolan, we'd be bemoaning Oregon State's offense right now. Yeah. The Beavers, uh, all in all, not, not only took care of business, but I think just flat out dominated one of the best teams in FCS. Yeah. I mean, I, that's, I mean this is... it, wasn't, it wasn't a Sac State or a Portland State that yeah. they demolished. This was a very good team. A, a team that has been to the second round of the FCS playoffs yeah. in, in each of the last three full seasons. Uh, it, it made it to the national championship last year, ran into the buzzsaw that is North Dakota State, but uh, a team that will be competing for a national title again this year. You just beat them by 40 points, and uh, I, I think that's that's even better than than really anyone was expecting. In it's fact, better than anybody in the points, Blitz. Anyone on Blitz expected. Yeah, the 68 points were more than any of us predicted at Beaver Blitz, and were actually the most Oregon State has scored since 2012 when it posted... 77 against Nickel State in that 77-3 win in the Alamo Bowl year. So if that's any indication of what Oregon State's capable of this year, uh, I mean, that was a nine-win team back that then, was a, I think. That was what? That was a December game, if I remember yep. correctly. It was after yeah. the season because of Hurricane, one of the hurricanes that came through. Okay, yep. so we talked about some good, Carter. What are some of your areas, maybe the bad, from uh, Saturday night? Uh, the 98-yard kickoff return. I think kickoff. Kickoff coverage has been a concern over the last two weeks, and I'm curious how much of that is just because the ball is is not staying up long enough for the return team to get down the field. It's uh, not making it far enough that returners feel like, oh, well, I might as well just let it bounce in the end zone. I, I think the fact that Oregon State's going with a backup kicker on kickoffs is kind of limiting what the coverage team can do a little bit there. I'm also concerned about their ability to stop and slow mobile quarterbacks. It kind of seems to be the issue year in and year out. And so I'm anxious to see because right there between Boise State and Montana State, there's a a blueprint on how to attack Oregon State's defense. And some of those teams are going to have some fun with that. 
27 carries, 170 yards, and three touchdowns from the Montana State quarterbacks. And this is this is the point that I wanted to push back on earlier, but I was going to save it for later in the show. So obviously Montana State's quarterbacks lit it up in the in the running game, and uh, they were that's pretty much all the production the Montana State offense got. Okay. But Angie, I think this is this is the distinction we have to make after watching this game. It's Montana State quarterbacks weren't sitting back there trying to throw the ball and then scrambling. This was a this was a more methodical approach. This was yeah. this was not a, a scrambling type quarterback. This was not a oh you have great coverage but you can't contain the edge. This is Montana State designing a run designing, scheme yeah. around the quarterback power, the quarterback draw, um, handing it off to a quarterback, quarterback who's literally lined up as a running back. This is not something that Oregon State sees very often. It's if I had to compare it to anything, how would we analyze Oregon State's run defense if it was to play Air Force or yeah. Navy or a triple option team? I feel like we'd come out of that game saying, well, we can't really get a read on it because we know that that team's going to run it 60 times a game. Yeah, I feel like this is one of those situations where you could line Oregon State up against a, a Talon Green or shoot a Caleb Williams, let's say, next week. And, and you could see something totally different because I don't think the way that Tommy Malott and Sean Chambers were running the ball is anywhere similar to what you would see from uh, one of those types of quarterbacks. I agree, but I can see someone like um, Utah maybe designing some some runs there. And um, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I just think, but you're right. I, I think, and, and same with, with Boise State, when they brought Taylor Green in, Oregon State hadn't prepared for that. They were expecting the three-year starter, Hank Bachmeyer, to to go the the duration of the game. So um, that those designed runs and the fact that Oregon State took away the pass, the you know, they became a very one-dimensional team, and we didn't see them break free as often then later in the game. Let's remember too, last week Jake Hayner had like basically no opportunities outside of the pocket. So I think the sample size that we have seen so far is is not entirely conducive to analyzing Oregon State's ability to stop mobile quarterbacks. And uh, a comment just came in the chat that that calling Malata a, a mobile quarterback is unfair. He's basically a running back. That's kind of the point I was is yeah. trying to make. There is, I just think this is apples and oranges when yeah. you're trying to to compare you're Oregon right. State's it, it would be ability like... to to slow somebody like Caleb Williams down in the yeah. running game. Yeah. Anything else that uh, that stood out to you that wasn't great this week? Penalties from, uh, from um, Oregon State. A couple kind of stupid penalties. A block yep. in the back. The the um, unsportsmanlike after the touchdown from Harrison. Just clean it up. But six penalties for sixty five yards. I'm I'm not going to complain too much about that. It's better than ten, which they had in week. Yeah, I mean so they, they're getting better. I mean they're getting better. And six for sixty five. I mean. I mean, at this point, I feel like I'm nitpicking because seriously, they won by 40 points. It was never in question. Um, and I feel like I'm just looking for something to, to pick at. So I'm not even going to to worry too much about that. I agree with you there. On the injury front, Trey Lowe, Luke Musgrave, we knew were going to be unavailable coming into this game. But it was a surprise for you and I as we were standing on the sideline before the game to see a couple of these players yeah. not suited up. So Andrew Chatfield Jr., outside linebacker, uh, defensive lineman Joe Golden, and offensive lineman Marco Brewer were all unavailable due to injuries. Jonathan Smith said after the game uh, when Angie asked about them that they should hopefully be back for USC. So this seems <laughs> like a, a, a one-game absence. For, well, we hope, for those but players. you, Carter, you know how Coach Smith is with injuries and how like yeah. all coaches are. I mean – I, I already have given my prediction on what he's going to say about Luke Musgrave. He's going to say tomorrow that Luke Musgrave is day-to-day, -day and they will watch it. Uh, Saturday for the game, we will be there, and Luke Musgrave will have his jersey on, and he'll be out in the field for warm-ups. He may even be in uni full uniform, and then we, we may or may not see him. But we get nothing, and they like to keep it that way. Just my opinion here, but I, I'm going to say I, I don't think we see Luke Musgrave against USC. So I don't either. Uh, again, another but but Chatfield, for... Golden, and Brewer. Out of those three, no no visible braces, slings, yeah. crutches. They all jogged out on the field. So I'm hopeful that that's a very minimal thing. 
they they seem to be kind of those minor things that uh, you just you don't want to push it, especially when you're playing a team like Montana State that you should theoretically be able to beat without them. Okay, you uh, think Alt- we see Alton Julian? Yeah, so Alton yeah. Julian, we thought he might get in. Jonathan Smith hinted towards a potential return this week. Not entirely shocking that he didn't get in. Although I will up, say, though. I will say, and he was suited up. I felt like maybe this is an opportunity to kind of ease him back into it. You know, not throw him to the wolves, so to speak, as you might when you're going up against Jordan Addison, Caleb Williams, <laughs> Travis Dye, uh, some of those guys on the USC defense. Maybe give him an opportunity against FCS caliber athletes to to go in and, and get his feet wet. So I thought maybe we would see him. Um, but no, I, it's it's looking more like this week would be the more realistic. But how bad would you feel if you tried to ease him in and he plants wrong and th- yeah, then yeah. you're like, then you're kicking yourself. Like, why didn't we just give it a little more time? Feels like a lose lose. It in is. That case. So. And then uh, Everett and then, Hayes. Do you yeah. think we see him this week? Again, it, it's just my gut here, but my gut tells me no. I just think that Groin, those... the only way it's going to heal is if he rests it. Right. And the reason I say no is because we know he was playing injured last week and it didn't get any better this week. And I I think just the fact that he tried to play through it again, uh, like you said, I mean, he he wasn't resting it, so it didn't even have an opportunity to get better. Okay, so I want to just ask you, Carter, just revisiting the keys to the game that we had on Thursday. Yep. First one we had was to limit turnovers. Did the Beavers succeed? They had none and they uh, won the turnover battle 3-0. Yeah, this was my offensive key, and I know you had a different one, so I don't have it in the rundown because I can't. I'll be honest, I can't remember what you said. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I think it I was to establish a run game. Yeah, I was going to say I think it was to establish the run game, but I couldn't remember for sure. So I was going to lob that up to you and let you take that. But yes, they they uh, delivered on my key, which was to limit turnovers. I said they couldn't afford to give Montana State any extra possessions. That's exactly how you lose to an FCS yes. team. Uh, they did the opposite. They took it away three times and held on to it, and that's why you saw the lopsided score. But Angie, to to your key, d- again, w- I already kind of asked you this, yeah, but yeah, if you had to say yes or no, did they yes. establish the running game? Statistically, yes, they did okay. what they needed to do. So I, we'll, I we'll go like, with yes there, and and I'd like to see more. But again, I'm not going to nitpick. Um, okay, our we both had the same defensive key yeah. to contain quarterbacks. So technically we have to say no here just because they did combine for 107 or 170 rushing yards and, and three touchdowns. Everybody else in the Montana State roster <laughs> <awesome>. combined for <laughs> negative two rushing yards on five carries. So, so I mean, we we were we were contemplating what we might see from a team that has four running backs out. Uh, yeah, they were handing it off to quarterbacks, receivers, uh, yeah. one other running back. And uh, yeah, everybody that wasn't a quarterback combined for five carries and negative two yards. So, hey, if the Oregon State run defense wants to look at a stat and say, hey, that's a win, <laughs> there you go. <laughs> they they, uh, they stopped non-quarterbacks pretty often on uh, on Saturday. Yes, yes. but like, like um, our commenter said earlier, they were using Sean Chambers basically as a, as a running back. So I think somebody might have listened to me the other day, Carter. If uh, if the Montana State coaching staff wants to admit that they're listening to the same <laughs> podcast, <laughs> uh, oh. yeah. So Oregon State, for the most part, delivers on our keys to the game, uh, offensively at least. Defensively, didn't contain the quarterbacks, but again, like I said, really hard to gauge that because I mean they're they're using quarterbacks as as running backs, as fullbacks, you name it. Uh, that was uh, that was a very unique game. I don't think Oregon State's going to see many teams with four running backs out in the in the near future. But and, and the defense really only allowed twenty one points, so that is a win. And that's more in line with what you and I kind of expected yeah. in in that realm. So big win for the Beavers, sixty eight twenty eight at Providence Park. Want to thank everybody for joining us live on YouTube. That is going to close the show for us today on this Sunday. Thanks. Uh, again, to everybody who's listening uh, across the uh, the variety of streaming services out there as well, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, Stitcher, uh, you name it, you can find us there. We're going to be back on Thursday with, uh, we hope, an expert from the 24-7 Sports Network uh, to, to help us break down USC and, and preview the Trojans. Again, that's on Thursday, but until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado. One, you can follow me at Carter Baines. 
and head to Beaver Blitz throughout the week because we have all sorts of game preview content lined up. Uh, but as far as the damn podcast goes, we'll be back on Thursday for another episode to preview USC. We'll talk to you then. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game for speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus.